Hi there, everybody, and thanks for listening. This is Greg Vitti with Real Estate Legends. I'm here with a great legend, Karen Biazar, founder of North Clybourne Group in Chicago. And uh, she's someone who, if you've been in this business for a while, you've definitely run into her because uh, she's got her name everywhere. And uh, she's always excited to talk to people. Karen, thank you so much for being on the show. Greg, thanks for having me. <laughs> so how long have you been in this crazy business? I have been in this crazy business going on 33 years. So 88 was your year? Uh, 1989. Yeah. Okay, 89. Yep. And then did you think about getting into real estate for a long time or how did that come about? I never planned on being in real estate in the capacity of what I'm doing, but I think like everything, you know, things happen and you follow the set of circumstances that you're in. My dad was in real estate, but not selling real estate as an agent. I was actually going to be a pharmacist, but I had been exposed, you know, to the investor mentality through my dad, which I always wanted to buy real estate, but didn't plan on being an agent. So it was very much by accident. So your dad was at his main business was a real estate investor? He was. Yeah. And where did you grow up? I grew up in Edgewater. Okay, so you're a Chicago girl all the way through. I, I didn't tell you I'm adopted too. So, and my biological brother I met, my biological family I met four years ago. That's like something else that's wow. weaved in. Yeah. You know, Wayne Dyer is adopted. Yeah. I, I'm, and I'm, you have that same abundance mentality as him. Mm -hmm. And most people that are adopted. I always knew I was adopted. Raised from when I was 10 days old. You know, I was, but I always have quite, you know, we don't come with an owner's manual. So it's like, there's this, like, I have this insatiable, like, like curiosity you know, about a lot of stuff. And, and I was never like, I never had a problem being adopted, but ever, you know, I've, I always felt like, like special, you know, you're comfortable in your own skin. Totally. Yeah, but you yeah. know, it's like that, that's a process too, like learning how to, to be that. So where'd you go to high school? I went to Sen High School. No kidding. I went to grade school at St. Gertrude's. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh. Actually, I'll, I'll, actually I'll, 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 I'll change that. It was St. Sen because the nun said, you know, kids don't mind your ways. You're going to wind up at St. Sen. So <laughs> I, I I am alumni of Sen High School, you, 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 class of 1985. <laughs> and did you do higher education from there? You know, I wanted to, and that sort of changed course. My plan was to go to college, but my mother had other plans. And that led me in the direction of just accidentally meeting my husband and accidentally getting my real estate license and accidentally opening my real estate office and just accidentally continuing to do everything that I've done. So it so, just evolved fast. So good. how old were you when you met him? I met my husband when I was 19. We were married when I was 20. We bought our first building when I was 21. We had our first child when I was 22. And I opened North Clyburn Group when I was 23. Wow, you're kidding me. That's So exciting. that was the order. <laughs> I had no idea that that's really how it went down. Yep. That is so exciting. So yep. you decided to go straight into your own company. I did, you know, and and part of it was just observing. I'm I'm a keen observer of of what works and what doesn't work. I, I don't consider myself extra special. I'm just extra observant, and I have a strong work ethic, getting things done. I worked for another real estate office. I think it was like a Century Twenty One or something like that for like three weeks. It, it wasn't the structure that I was looking for. I didn't know what I was looking for, but I knew it wasn't that after being there for a short period of time. So, but I thought back then you had to work someone for a year and then go so manage the poker's license. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll explain that. Yeah, there's there's all kinds of workarounds with things. I was working as an assistant to a president of an engineering company who, I have no idea why he hired me, but I did all kinds of crazy shit. One of the things he said to me one day, he was like, hey, I want you to put together this video. This is when VHS was first coming out. He's like, I want you to put this video together about this equipment that they were making that was repairing computer chips. And he's like, and I need it in a week. Like he would just do like random stuff like this. And so I went downstairs to like the engineering department. I'm like, can you teach me how to use these machines? And then I opened up the yellow pages and I found a company. I wrote a script. I started in the video and I'm like, here's your video. And he's like, okay, now I want you to go and meet all of our sales reps. So I was meeting like engineers at AT&T and, you know, Lockheed Martin and the U.S. government and started killing it selling capital equipment, just being myself. Networking. You know? networking and I became pregnant and I was his like top sales agent. I became pregnant and he demoted me, literally demoted me. It was, it was unbelievable. I was just like, are you kidding me? He's like, well, you know, you're gonna have a baby. I said, it's like, I, I can work. What are you talking about? I'm planning on working, but it was a gift. It was a gift. So I took that time to, you know, work on the building and my husband, who's still my husband <laughs> of 35 years Fantastic. at that time said to me, you know, you should get your real estate license. And so I did. And I had gotten it while I was pregnant with our first child. That started my real estate career. But to go back to your question related to 
How did that work? I started working briefly at a Century 21. Didn't work for me. Then I saw an advertisement in the paper for a concept that was different. It was with renting apartments and selling real estate, like developing relationships because this business is very relationship-based. I interviewed with him. I worked part-time and same thing. I, I was slaying it and I completely saw the great idea that this guy had, but he wasn't working his idea. And he was soliciting third-party management companies versus like individual owners, which the concept was is that you would develop relationships with your rental clients, that then these owners would become your buyers and sellers, tenants would become your buyers and sellers. And I was like, this is perfect. Like this, this is brilliant. Let's do it. Except he was really targeting more management companies where it was more bulk. It was like one building. You had to show them how to do it. Well, I, I told, I was, I literally, I was like, you know, Brian, we should, you know, and I was like tapping him like, you know, we should, and he's just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was just like totally blowing me off. And I was like, I was like, forget this. I'm like, I'm going to do this. You know, right. I have so, this idea. I can handle it. Thank I you. Can, totally. Totally. So I spoke with a couple people that I was working with in the rental pool. And I said, you know, I, I want to do this. Is anybody interested in partnering up? And there were two other guys. One of them dropped out. And then we connected with, because of the licensing and you needed to be licensed for two years before you could actually open. We found through him, a friend who was a real estate broker who was on Clybourne who had nobody in his office. So what we did is we we pitched him a proposition. We said, hey, this is what we're looking to do. We'll give you a percentage of what we, you know, instead of negotiating the with a broker, we like turned it around. We turned the tables and we we're like, this is what we want to do. He's like, that sounds great. Let's do that. But so, see, I got a lot of nothing right now. Right. You seem to have energy and brains. <laughs> What's funny about that beginning, and you know, I come from the school of hard knocks. I come from doing everything the hard way. I've learned everything the hard way, sometimes intentional because I throw grenades in front of myself. And as I've gotten older, I've learned how better not to do that. And so my experience, when you talk about higher education, I really feel like I've got a PhD and maybe two. Well, in, it's funny because I'm in the In all same kinds way. of things. So with you, right away, did you start doing the bigger buildings or did you? I started in commercial. So when I say commercial, like smaller scale, six units, 12 units, 20 units. Every time there was one come on the market, you would be there and, you, and we would just laugh and high five each other. And, right. say, and then we would call back each other and say, what do you think about the building? And exactly. it's like, man, she was really hitting it. So, and now with this area, you've, Westtown really been one of the top agents or the top agent over here for many, many moons. Yeah. Well, you know, like, like to kind of, two, four. All, it kind of ties into all that. And part of like how, so, so my, my father had bought apartment buildings and I, from a personal perspective, wanted to invest. The first apartment building I ever bought was a nine unit building. And that was when I was 21. And, you know, we saved, my, my husband was driving a cab and I was working, you know, we saved everything that one of us made and lived off the other and bought it. And our goal was to buy one building a year to continue to like to add that with the big picture of buying and paying everything off and having multiple sources of revenue. So, you know, being a real estate agent had one source of revenue, but it was more than that. And how it led into accidentally again in Bucktown and Wicker Park is because nobody was working there. I am a top selling agent in the census track eight or one of the top selling agents in the census track 8022 and 8024 in Chicago, which is part of Westtown and Logan Square and, you know, a, a big swath. But I'm also, you know, we've, we've gone farther than that. Since oh, you're then, all over the South Yeah, side. we're all I over see, the South. I see your yeah, size we're, everywhere. We're everywhere. So I didn't want to pigeonhole you there. I'm no, no, sorry no. But if I, I mean, did do that. No, no, no. But starting there, I came there by accident also. And I saw... A unique opportunity. There was a lot of opportunity in terms of proximity to the lake, to downtown, to public transportation. It was like a spillover from everything else. And nobody was working there. And and, and everybody wanted to be communicated. I was like, let's go. And know? a gorgeous building stock. I mean, all these beautiful buildings, these bigger lots, these corner. I mean, just walking here. So what I did for the first seven years is I was cold calling. I cold called every day, every day. And I'm not kidding you, every day. For probably, it was about seven or eight years. I was not about wasting anybody's time. I've always been about efficiency and about transparency. You know, and I think we were hipsters, Greg, like before hipsters were hipsters. You know, I mean, this stuff right now that people talk about, about being transparent was exactly what motivated me to do what I was doing because everybody wasn't, you know, right. everybody wasn't. It was like everything was so mediocre. And no, I was like, I can do this way better. <laughs> yeah. Way and better. not only that, you'll answer your phone. And you'll be honest with people. And I remember calling you and asking you, yes, I do have a building. I will show it to you tomorrow, but you have to pay full price or it's going on the next day. And I work I in the best interest of my client. 
but I'm also like I'm direct with whomever I'm working but with. But you're fair with you and you and you know I'm someone fair and else tough. I'm fair and it. tough. People have told me a lot that I'm fair and tough. Should and be. you know, it's like I, I think those are balanced qualities, you know. I mean, that's how I see it. Well, and you've been very successful in doing that. So it's your first year, North Clybourne Group, you open the doors. We're in 1990 right oh, now. Oh, yeah, that's right. 1990. We're in 1990. Yes. You're negotiating with this gentleman about getting in there. I can just tell. Oh, God. This bubbly. Is so, his, name, his name was Ronaldo. And the guy who owned the building, his name was Henry Chen. I remember that. And it's just funny, all the cast of characters that you meet, you know? So we, what, when we started North Claiborne Group, we, we were sharing office space because of licensing. And we started with an office on Clybourne. There was uh, a gentleman who was a broker, now would be a managing broker, who had office space and no people. And so we came to him with a proposition that we wanted to open a rental agency under his license that we would give him a percentage of what we would make. And I had met an attorney by accident in the rental agency who put all this together, a partnership agreement and all this stuff. I said, actually, if you had a partnership yeah. agreement, that's great. I mean, you know, I, I did everything like the right way, but it was like, everything's by accident. You just keep moving forward. So we put everything together with him. He agreed, but he never signed the paperwork. It's okay. You know, we just started, we started and literally we took you, over his office. You had the spirit of the agreement. And then we had a spirit. I mean, I, I just didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I was, I was 23 years old and I didn't know any better. I mean, I knew that I knew he needed to sign it, but I mean, I didn't push him because it was like, we were just moving forward, moving forward. And I would ask him every once in a while, like, Hey, you're going to sign that. And he's just like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll take care of it. And then he would just hit us up for money, random money. Give me this, give me, and I would just give it to him because I'm working and I'm focused on what I'm focusing on, which is generating revenue and running a business within his business. And I had been taking classes intermittently because that's how they offered them. So I was almost there. Like I was almost there. He's like, I, I, I'd like to talk with you. I said, sure. So we went out to lunch at Goose Island. This is when Goose Island first opened, like literally first opened. And he's like, so, you know, that deal we had when you first came, I want to go back to that. And I said, I'm happy to renegotiate with you. I said, but that wasn't a stock option. You know, like that deal was on the table. You asked me to keep giving you money. I've done it. Now you see that we're successful and now you want to go back to that. I go, that's not really fair, you know? Yeah. And he's like, well, he's like, if you don't want to do that, you know, you're going to have to leave. And I said, that's, that's okay. I, I can do that. He's like, well, you're going to have to leave very quickly. I said, no problem. That's fine. And so literally within a week, I had a friend who was a licensed. We did a, a joint venture together. I cash advanced all my credit cards and I opened our office at 523 North Avenue, which was the only retail space. The building was completely vacant, but we took it. And Tom Gibbons was my landlord. Are you kidding? Irish guy, Tom Gibbons. Oh, you know, yeah. he's like, oh, he's like, oh, Karen, you know, he talked like that. He would come in and have coffee with us every morning. The rationale in my head was that I can, I can pay everything off with a loan, you know, from the bank because I'm a woman owned business. So I paid 18% interest, put all this together and then applied at my bank to get a loan to consolidate that debt. And they and said it, no. It took three months. It took three months of them jackbagging me around. And I wanted $20,000. And they're like, yeah, not, you know, after three months, they're like, well, you know, I'm sorry, you're a service oriented business. I said, well, why didn't you knew this from the beginning? Right. Like, what are you talking about? I said, you know, I'm a woman owned business. I actually feel like you're discriminating against me. There you He's go. like, would you like $10,000? I said, I'll take that. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <laughs> took it you know, paid off part of it. So then my business partner, the guy who was asking to get listings, you know, we're renting apartments still, like that's what we're doing. Sometimes people then, because we didn't have Venmo and all these wonderful ways to pay for things, they were paying cash. And unfortunately he decided to take an apartment rental in cash and keep it. And, or maybe um, thankfully. Uh, probably thankfully, yes. Yeah. Probably thankfully. Get rid but of he them. did, and I, and I discovered that, and I said, I'm sorry, I can't work with you anymore. I said, I can't work with somebody that I don't trust. <laughs> and so I told him, I said, this is either going to be where I buy you out or you buy me out or we close and it's an accounting procedure. See that tight? Like, it's this, this, or this. That's it. Yeah. Not this. ABC. This. That's right. And he took the buyout, and I was on my own. And I fulfilled my lease obligation, but was continuing to work in Bucktown and Wicker Park because that was an area of opportunity. And then I moved, after I finished my lease, I moved there. I cut my rent in half and I was looking for new office space. I moved there, found that office space, but wanted to buy a building. Actually, the building that our office is in right now on North Avenue, we bought in 1994. 
but it, we didn't move into it right away because of a tenant. So that's how I wound up being in Bucktown and Wicker Park was, you know, I was doing more business there that was targeting the individual property owners that where I started, they weren't doing. And I had some various experiences with different things. And, and my husband was continually pushing me to, to get into sales, which I could have sold, but I wasn't. I told him I wanted to build the client base to have that client base first because I didn't want to have a divided focus. And that divided focus comes in later on too when doing leasing and doing sales. So I had reached a point where it was like I was ready to throw my hat in the ring with sales. And my first year with like out even trying, I, I, About I sold 20 million? Like, no, I did like, I did like, I think I was like 6 million, you know, Unreal. without even trying. And I was still running $400 apartments and like doing stuff and running an office and having children and all this other shit. But then I, I made the switch. I remember when I had to, I made the switch where it was like, okay, I'm not personally going to be running apartments any longer. And it's like, and you start to let go of things. So but in the late nineties, you were selling big building. I was, but I was, I saw you everywhere. No, I know. But, but like, this was like right in the beginning. And this kind of like ties into like as you grow, you release, you know, like you have to let things go in order to grow and you have to let go of control in order to grow. And all of these like really interesting things. Like I was, I was the bookkeeper. I was the receptionist when the receptionist didn't show up. I was the cleaning lady. I was all these things, you know, I wore all these hats. I did everything. I did every single aspect of running the company and running apartments and all the stuff, you know, like I did it all. I don't know where my energy came from. You were from. efficient. You were efficient with all of it. I was doing it. I was doing it, you know, and I was making money. I was, I was making money. Like I was always profitable. I was never not profitable. But I knew I needed a partner, you know, and I had to go through like, like three different experiences over the course. So I'm going to fast forward now, like 10 years, you know, of like of, of learning because it's like I didn't have a mentor, you know, and I didn't have like the access that people have to like information. So it's like you kind of go through trial and error, you know, and it was like and also learning how to manage people, you know, like manage people. And I always thought that everybody thought like I thought. I've and always they didn't. thought that my whole life and no one thinks like that. <laughs> and when you can step back though, what are their strengths? <laughs> you have to come from a point of giving, you know what I mean? How to give, you know, like you have to give and if, but if your tank is empty, how do you give? It's kind of like on, like when you get on an airplane, you know, it's like, they always say, put on the oxygen mask first before you can help somebody else, because really you need to help yourself. And so my, by accident, my business partner, Stacy Slattery. Yeah. When did you meet her? I met Stacy in like 2003, I think. You guys so, have been great together. She and I, she's my work wife. We became, that was the, the formation of the team. The team started in, I think it was 2003 and she's going to kill me. It's 2003 or four, but I think it's 2003, but it was St. Patrick's day. I know that. <laughs> and it was at happy village and I'll go back to that. But we'd started with, we were doing apartment buildings and then the condominium morphed in Chicago. And then I got on the condominium new construction wagon with some of my apartment building clients who started getting into development. And that formed the design team, like the inception of the design team, because I saw inefficiencies with how that product was being sold and how it could be done better. And so fast forward, Stacy comes on the scene, you know, she was, she was that we share, we're very different people, but we share exactly the same values about everything. She was able to, to help me and she's a great leader and you need She's got pizzazz too. Like she has that sway about her. So she's very creative. She's the yin to my yang, man. Yeah, I mean, that's that's it. And yeah, because you are so numbers and like you've got the business plan and you've got the whole outline already. Stacy's a great coach. She's like Don Shula. She is there. She and brought a lot out of you. She, I'm telling you, man, she she coached me. She coached just like my husband did. My husband coached me too. Come he on, was, Karen, you can do it. No, <laughs> able to like know who I am, to see my my blind spots, to see my weaknesses and to give me constructive feedback that I could either take or not take. And you know? confidence. Absolutely. So all of a sudden you decided so to get this. And I, Stacey and I, we part of, you know, with revenue, it's like figuring out how, how to do stuff. So what we did, a lot of people I saw like at the, at the beginning of the formation of teams with things, people, they, they would say that they were a part of a team, but they didn't function like a team. No. Okay. They were sharing resources because they made that whole team thing about money. And money is a part of it. Money's not a bad word. You know, and this applies to like real estate and everything. Like when you're talking to people and helping them make decisions about things, money's a tool, money's a tool. But when you're a part of a team, teams win together and they lose together. And, and how people win together and how people lose together consecutively over and over and over again, win Super Bowls or win championships because they have to have that aptitude for the big part of the team. And it comes from the top down. 
You know, it, it comes like it comes from Stacy and I and leads to everybody else. So, but at that point I was, you know, the leader and I was like figuring out how to do it. How I felt that everybody would have an interest, like a vested interest is everybody had to have financial ownership in what was happening with every single transaction. I took a 50% pay cut. I, I made the decision. I said, I'm going to reduce my pay, my commission split by 50% to create the situation where everybody, and we created, a, we designed it for every single type of transaction that this person, you, you know, you get this, you get this, you get this, no matter what happens, no matter what happens, this is what everybody's roles are. This is what everybody's doing. Okay. It was an idea that grew into something really incredible. And they all said to me, they're like, are you really sure you want to do this? I said, I am 5,000% sure because I see the end goal. Like I see it. Yeah, you could do so much more. Your volume I could go way I, up. But you, you have, don't have you, to do it all. You have to be willing to, what, what you have to be willing to do is you have to be willing to delay immediate gratification. People, like they want everything now. And it's like, it's so much better. It's so much more quality if you can just wait a little bit, <laughs> you know, <laughs> wait true. a little bit and see, it's like investing when people are like, oh my God, I'm paying too much money. You're investing, you know, you are making an investment. When we bought our building on Logan Boulevard and we paid like $25,000 over the list price and bid against 15 people and everybody's like, oh my God, you're crazy. Like, why are you paying that much money? I said, I couldn't build this building for what I'm paying for it. They're right. like, but it's not worth it. I said, but it will be because I'm never selling it. <laughs> You know? Exactly. You know, so if we beat the bank and pay that mortgage off and we paid everything off, that was the other thing, too. That was another goal. And it's like in being consistent with that. So like we're not beholden to anything. And it's like it's making it's their sacrifice. So like all of this stuff ties into how to be a better real estate agent. Everything I'm talking about right now, be applies. a better person. All of it applies. What was your day like? Cold calling right away? I was actually in the beginning, I wasn't cold calling. I was out hustling, just like renting apartments. And my my partner was the person who was cold calling. And I would say to him, hey, we need more listings. You know? <laughs> Everybody says that. Yeah. But why can't you just give me a lead? You know, and he would be like, fun. he's like, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. You know, and finally was just like, you know what? I'm going to do this myself. And I just took it upon myself that it's like, all right, I'm going to start doing this. So by the time you were 30 years old and you owned all these buildings, when you're giving advice to people on these multifamilies, they can obviously tell you know exactly what you're talking about because you've had all the problems and you've dealt with all the crazy things with the tenants, with the, all the different things that it goes to running a building in Chicago. So that's probably did give you the step up on everyone. I mean, having having a shared experience with somebody and to speak from a point of experience, I think it creates authenticity and it creates trust, you know, with the biggest purchase of a lot of people's lives, especially with their first like multi-unit purchase. For sure, I could speak from a point of, of experience, but I'm also like, I'm very humble when I'm sharing my experience. I'm sharing it with always the ability that, that something could change. Taking a risk adverse approach with people and for, to help people understand how to gauge risk and the type of risk that they wanna take. Cause there's lots of ways that you can do things. I mean, you can roll the dice, you know, you can do things cross every T and dot every I, pull permits, not pull permits. And we're not lawyers and we can't give legal advice, but we can talk about the real world with a path that somebody may want to go down that isn't necessarily conventional and, and be able to give content, you know, of, of what could happen realistically so that they can make their own decisions about things. But yeah, my, my experience at that point, I would always share. And, and this is the, the biggest things like to this day with which, which I think is a part of, of success is, is being open to learn. We can teach, but we also are continually learning with people too. And, and making sure that we don't take all the oxygen out of the room yeah, when we're having okay. conversations yeah. so that we can give space, you know, for people to have the, the meaningful conversations that help make the best decision for them. I, I don't want to give too strong opinions. I do want to point out things that are obvious to us that wouldn't be obvious to a normal person walking through a building. Sure. Say it be, you know, just the actual schematics. Well, that's up because the plumbing is underneath it. The, mm -hmm. All the different things that are right and wrong. But I don't want to push them too hard. I want to yeah. hear what they have to say yeah. and what they like. So right now, what is your day like? I mean, my day starts usually between 5 and 5.30 in the morning. And, you know, 
Part of my definition of success has also changed, but I've always been an early person. And that time in the morning is for myself, going to the gym, organizing you know, my calendar in terms of what I have on the agenda for that day, making sure that I'm prepared for what I need to be prepared for. But the first hour and a half is personal. My next, you know, and it's consecutive is I have a 15 minute, 15, it's a flexible time, but it's a time on my calendar where I speak with my assistant every morning. And that's between 8.30 and 8.45. And it's just for us. It's a time where there's, there's no urgency. It's a time that I can hear what her workflow's like, what's happening with my workflow, the things that are priorities, the priorities for the day, the priorities for the week, the priorities for the month, the quarter, the year, and then hearing her. Non-time pressed, you know, it's like the best thing to have that time, it's protected time. Phones off. Depending on what day of the week it is, Tuesday, I have uh, a team meeting. We're talking about all of our listings. We're talking about our open houses and we save time for everybody's individual, what they need to talk about. The big thing about meetings is having a purpose. If it can be an email, let it be an email, but it doesn't negate the fact that we should meet and we should talk, but it should be meaningful and have a point. Because sometimes people like with meetings, they think that, oh, I've done a meeting. I've, I've actually done something. And, and many people are mentally checked out. Like you want to be engaged and you want to be, and it doesn't have to have this, we're filling an hour of content. If we have five minutes to talk about something, cool. Then it's five minutes. If it's an hour, great. And, and make room for life. You know, like I have a doctor's appointment. I can't make that. Cool. Like that's okay. The team supports the team. Wednesdays is actually, I, I purposely try to keep clear and have more me time in the morning. Thursdays, we have a meeting with design, our design team, as far as like all the projects with what's happening, progress of the various things for where they're at with creating our content for what we have going on the market, creating specifications. And as we're helping our builder decide what they're going to do. And Friday mornings, I have a, a class that I take. It's called PQ, Positive Intelligence. Fantastic. And that's an ongoing. So those are like key things that I do over and over again, besides going to the gym that five time. And every Friday between 12 and three o'clock, my husband and I go to our farm in Michigan and, and our dog. This is part of that big picture of how we want to live our life and design our life. And from the beginning, and this is really funny about the Michigan thing, because my father, you know, we were very middle class, but my dad was very low pro. You know, he wasn't like, he, he was very successful, but you wouldn't know it. He would buy his clothes at a thrift store and he'd pull up a pink three-piece suit. I mean, he was, he was sharp, you know, <laughs> but... We had a summer home in Crystal Lake. So I grew up in the country during the winter, you know, during the summer. And then we'd be back home. And I always, it like, it left a, a huge impression on me. So when my husband and I got married, he was driving a cab. I'm working for president of this engineering company. And I had a dog and we were, you know, going to get together. He's like, yeah, dog belongs in a dog house. And I was just like, what do you mean? He's like, I can't live with the dog. We have a dog now, by the way. I can't live with the dog. I said, okay. I said, this is the deal that I'll make you. I said, I'll give the dog to my mom. But I said, someday we're going to buy a summer home. Okay. And he's like, okay, deal. And I would drag his ass around. I mean, cause you have to visualize things. You know what I mean? You have to visualize. Do. And I, you I manifest mean, it. We, we bought our first building and it was like, we didn't have the money. It didn't matter. It was like, I would, was going to Indiana. I was going here. We were all over the place. Fast forward 17 years. We saw this place. It was in Boscoville, Wisconsin. And that was the first time Sean's like, oh my God, I think I want to write an offer. And I'm like, this is the one I've been waiting for. And then I'm like, wait a minute, it's 200 miles away. It's not going to work, you know? Yes. And no, it was okay. It was like, it was great. We never looked at Michigan. And by accident again, we found Michigan through a client. My client was like, oh, I'm going to go to Michigan. I'm like, oh, let me go with you, you know? A developer client. And I connected with her realtor and I told her what we were looking for and we found it. And at first Sean's like, well, what if, what if we don't like it? I said, then we're going to sell it. It's a farm? It's a farm. We How have big eight, is it? 80 acres. Wow. Yeah. It, what, we didn't start out that way. It started out at 42 acres with a, a house and a barn and wetlands and stream. It's it's on a dirt road and our, we've been socially distancing for 20 years. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> That's good. And actually like where we're at, this little town, it's called Galene. It's 10 miles off Lake Michigan. It's like the humble park of New Buffalo and like all the Lake Link. I, I still do the same stuff. Like where I live, you know, in Smart. Logan Square, it's like I've always been like, you're like Bruce, Bruce Springsteen, darkness on the edge of town. I don't know, man. I don't know. But I always kind of go to the to the beat of, I, I, I follow, I actually, I, I listen to my own inner voice it's about good. a lot of stuff. To kind of go back to like with what other people were doing, it's like the only person I compete with is myself. You know, I don't compete with anybody else. I, I really, it's like I set yourself. my bar. No, I, I, I don't. So I set my bar for what I expect for myself. 
I'm, I'm a great leader and I can actually own that right now and say that. Like I am an excellent manager. I'm an excellent leader. I inspire people, I motivate and I lead people. And I do that with everybody. And I do it really, really well. And I can say that and, and mean it and, and not be ashamed of it. It's like, we have to like kind of come into ourselves as a woman and you know. All these different all this forces. Stuff. Yeah, all these different I mean, forces you know, we do. Us. And it's like, and, and, and it takes work. You know what well, I mean? I know work. that all the different things that you have going on, the normal person would look at that kind of a load and they would fall over. They wouldn't be able to even imagine having 25, 30, 40, 50 clients at a time or a hundred different properties and all of the craziness that goes on to make it happen. But you seem to do it in a very Zen-like way, all in all. You have a good balanced life. Now, I know that you've really worked on doing it. You took took some great vacations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm, I you set your priorities. And that's the thing too about like changing your definition of success. Like I used to work you know, 80 hours a week plus, and I would wear it like a badge of honor. And, and that's not successful. I mean, it's necessary. There are certain times where things are necessary. So I don't want to, cause I, I think a work ethic is important, but I wasn't working smart. I just, you know what you know. So you just do what you do. And, and that's what I did. I did what I knew. I honestly could outwork a lot of people for sure, but I, I had a desire to be successful. I had a vision of what I wanted to create for myself and my family. And a lot of that, what drove a lot of that was when I mentioned that I thought I was going to college and my mom had other plans. My mother, my father died when I was 15, which really like it impacted my life in a oh. huge way. And it was, you know, a teenager, like it's the worst time. And I checked out, I mentally checked out. Like I was like straight A student, all girls Catholic high school briefly, I, I didn't mention that briefly. And after my father died, I was like, fuck this shit, man. Was that the good counsel? Good counsel. And I was out of there and I, and I went to Sun High School and I went to an inner city public high school. I was like fed up with a whole bunch of stuff. And my mother over time, you know, she remarried, which of course I wanted my mom to be happy, but they wanted to move to the suburbs. My mom came from like a totally different mindset about stuff. And she's like, She said to me, she was in the summer, I just graduated from high school and I graduated from school a year late because I literally dropped out of school for a year and just checked out mentally, you know, just drugs and this and that. But I got myself back on my feet myself. I saw a counselor and this guy, he saved my life actually. And so this whole driving force about all of this is that I thought I was going to college and my mom said, I sold the building, I'm moving to the suburbs. You need to get a job, you need to get an apartment and you need to do it in a month. I remember it was like three o'clock on a Saturday and I was sitting in the white wing chairs with plastic. The sun's coming in a certain way. And I remember my mom saying that to me inside. It was like this, like, whoa, you know, I didn't, I just said, no problem. That's, that's what came out of my mouth. No problem. And in my head, I said, I'm like to myself, I'm like, you are going to eat my dust. You're just going to eat my fucking dust. (laughs) Like that's it. But you're very disciplined thinker. So I'm sure you went to work in your mind right away. You had lists I got, I got, you know, I I got a garden apartment paying $280 a month. I had a bicycle, a Schwinn 10 speed that I rode in the snow to work. I bought all my clothes and all my shit at garage sales. And I was on a cash basis. And I was, I was like, I'm going to make it and it's going to be okay. It's a mindset. It's a pivot. You have to like harness the power of your mind and see everything as an opportunity and not see yourself as a victim, you know? And I, and at that, even at that point, I did not see myself as a victim. I saw myself as these were my circumstances and this was my opportunity. When I met my husband, I had dated hundreds of guys, like hundreds. <laughs> so like when I met you him- practiced. You practiced, you get to I, know. Seriously, I mean, it was funny because when I met him, we were playing volleyball, we met playing volleyball. And he said to me, he's like, hi, I'm Sean. I'm like, hi, I'm Karen, you know? And it's like, we met, okay, great. And so I was underage, but they always serve people at the bar across the street anyway, who cared? And we went, I was sitting with my friends, he's sitting with his friends and he's like talking to me and he's like, do you want to go out? I said, okay. So we went on a date. It was very uneventful. It was no big deal. And then he called me up again for a second date. And I was like, oh, you know, I just want to be friends. He's like, I have enough friends. Thanks. And like the way he said it, it was like the way that he rolled that out got me. Cause if he did it the wrong way, if that inflection was off just a little bit, swear to God, wouldn't be here right now. It was like, it was, exa- it was with a period. Just how he did it, it wasn't like, you know, it was like, not what I want, you know? Three weeks went by. It hit me one day. I don't know, I was like, okay, we have nothing more to talk about, bye. You know, like, whatever. <laughs> and three weeks later, it hit me. And I was like, why did I blow this guy off? And I picked up the He's phone. He's the right guy. He was the right guy. And I, I, 
this is before computers, whatever. It was like, I had this little piece of paper. I found it somehow with his phone number. Don't ask me how. It's like divine intervention. Exactly. So Called call Sean and was like, hey, you want to go out? It's like, his friends? <laughs> I'm like, no. <laughs> and so fast forward, you know, we move in together. Your heart's bounded right away. Huh? And, and things aren't perfect. Everything takes work. It's no like people kidding. talk about, they're like, hey, you know, it's like, how did you do this? How did, you know what? It's like, you compromise. You have to be honest. You have to be transparent. You have to be clear about what you want to do. Clear in the sense of like a core vision with all that. But to go back about the driver, what drove me was all of these experiences. It was like, I was, we were raised like Catholic school. It's like, you kids don't mind your ways. This is what's going to happen. Like fear, all this stuff. And I was Sit like, down, I'm going to be successful. Up. I'm going to be successful. Yeah. Like I'm going to be successful no matter what. All my friends, all of them, the majority of them. Went to college. You can start to see right now that this is a little bit of a hangup for me because I didn't go to college and I wanted to. And I felt like I felt less than I felt less than because I didn't. So I like put it all there, man. I was like, we're going to make this happen. You know? Yeah. You were all so in. Hopefully I brought all that. Back. Well, well, when you're all in and you have purpose and passion as you do, and you're very analytical and you're definitely not going to be denied, you, you have all of the ingredients for the great success that you've enjoyed. And you deserve it all. And I think that that's an inspirational message for people that are listening to you, trying to find out how does someone like her get all these signs up and keep this all together and organized. I remember when we did that deal on on uh, beach and you were so organized with the way you did the spreadsheets of this and analyze it. I thought, oh my God, if I had to do that to every one of my listings, I would lose my life. How is she going to do it? It's <laughs> but, how you learn your listing though, you know? No, believe me. I mean, me. really. I mean, and that's the thing too, like before people did stuff like that, now it's really easy to plug anything into a spreadsheet and, and brand it and do all kinds of beautiful things and this beautiful brochure, but nobody was doing that. You, you know, know what Joe Somerville would do? And I love Joe Somerville. He would take a recorder and as he's driving, he would talk about his listings to himself and then he would play it back. Mm -hmm. And he said, Greg, it, when you play it back and you've listened to yourself talk about mm -hmm. your listings. So, yes, I definitely do a very Zen thing. And I always have before I go into any appointment, I try to center myself and think of all the positive things I want to have come out of this appointment and try to not over talk it and just really get a connection. And I know that you've got so many connections now. So. How long do you think you're going to stay at this level? And I'm always going to contribute. Retirement's a pretty fluid thing. So I'm, I'm at a point now and I've been working on this. This is part of like when we talk about work-life balance and like how you make these transitions. I had reached all my goals when I was about 37. I hit everything that I wanted to do. So I coasted for a little while and then I had to take another growth. I, I, I didn't have to. I chose to take another growth step. And, you know, in those growth steps, again, it's clarity. You have to be clear about what it is that you want to accomplish. And what I wanted to do was to take more things off my plate, work where I could best serve in no particular order, but to serve my company, my team, myself, my family, and where I could best serve them and all these things with purpose based on my strengths. Doing administrative tasks is not beneath anybody. I think it's important for everybody to learn how to do stuff. The people who start as a janitor and then work their way out to be the CEO of the company, it's like they're learning the inner everything about the company. You know, I'm not saying you have to. I think the thing too is like in order to grow and in order to be able to like lean in and lean back at the same token, you have to teach. You have to take a teaching mentality and you have to be able to duplicate what you know with other people. And you also have to give up control. You have to give up control in thinking that you're the only person that knows the best way to do something. And you have to allow those people to fail. And then you have to look at those failures as a learning opportunity to teach them the insight so you're not giving them a fish, you're teaching them to fish, you know? And when you create that culture with your team, then your team can support everything that you as a team leader are leading, bringing in new business, the direction, you know, and also with purpose and with your brand, but also having your life, you know? My life, I've made a lot of sacrifices. I can't get back missing a school play. I can't get back missing family vacations. I can't get that stuff back, but I can choose right now and I think COVID's taught us a lesson too, how to be more empathetic with everything, you know, and have more understanding, um, more reasonable, you know? Well, and also everything's not so important. You don't have to go to every concert. You don't have to be flying around everywhere all the time. You can just stay home and enjoy it. 
So what other other kinds of hobbies have you gotten from the cult? I wouldn't say a hobby. I think I've actually, I, I've, I've become even a better version of myself through COVID. Having the ability, you have to adapt, you have to pivot, you have to change how you're looking at things. Handling people's stress, which we always do. One thing that I've, that I've found with myself as I've become a better version of myself because I'm willing to get to know myself. When I say willing to get to know myself, it's like a lot of times what I see with people, like they, they're, they're great agents, but they're working in a state of urgency. They're not working in a state of, of clarity, having a good baseline. That's the structure, you know what I mean? Of like setting time aside and being organized and, and having certain things. A lot of times it's like, oh, I don't have time to do that. I, I don't have time for that, what are, like that five minutes, but that five minutes of Whatever it is consistently that you're doing every single day builds habits. And I think it's building good habits. It's not working in a state of urgency. Coming from the right place. Yeah. I mean, we all do have yeah. a higher power. Yeah. It's no joke. And we can tap into it at any totally. time. And I know that you do. Yeah. So do you meditate? I do. Yeah. How I meditate often? every day, twice a day, in the Ooh. morning and in the evening. I also do this thing. So with I was mentioning about my positive intelligence, they have a thing called PQ reps that you do. So these are like two minute, two minutes, four times a day and they're topics. So it's basically like mini meditations. And I put it on my calendar. I literally, my calendar is filled in perpetuity at eight, at 12, at three, at six and at nine. And it reminds me to do my PQ reps. And so I do. And then you build Balance. your mental fitness muscle. It's like, it's not only building your, your physical, it's you're building your mental fitness. We all have stories of like, hey, this day, like I can tell you today, like I had the craziest, I couldn't even, like I couldn't make it up like the crazy shit that happened today. It doesn't matter, that's not the topic, but handling it fluidly, handling it without letting other people stress affect your own personal, like where you're at. And like, I'm sitting here, you know, and I just look at the speakerphone, washing dishes, doing laundry, you know, it's on mute, I'm listening, you know, and then I come in, I'm like, okay, this, I'm, I'm telling you, this person was going off about, nothing that had to do with us, but like something else. And I'm like, this is, I know you don't want to hear this, okay, but I need to tell you what you need to hear right now, because if you do what you say that you want to do, this is what's going to happen. Consequences. And that's okay, and that's okay, but you know, like having those hard conversations with people, having hard conversation, but hard conversations where you give space and choice, you know, because you need to give people space, you need to give people choice, but you also need to be clear so that they're not like, it's this miscellaneous, oh, it's A through Z. You know, it's like, no man, it's like, it's A and B. It's like one or, one or this one or this one. And that's kind of how you have to look. It, it all worked out, it's all fine, but it's like kind of letting go of that control, giving and keeping your Zen with stuff was kind of what we were going back to. It gives me goosebumps just thinking about the transformation from being in the spot where you're kind of mad at the world, you're frustrated, you haven't forgiven yourself yet. Mm -hmm. You haven't forgiven all those others. You're held down by all this stuff. And most people don't think about that, especially if you get in real estate, you get 10 listings and you get 10 buyers and then you're mm -hmm. just run, 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 run. Before you know it, you really don't have good relationships with people and it's just all hollow. Mm -hmm. And so who's gonna stop that mess and how are you gonna get we're, to a we're, place? We are in control of our own thoughts and we choose how we wanna feel. And when we can really harness and understand the power of what that really means, that's true power. When I go back to my mom in the white wing chair telling me that story and like the things that drove me, my foundation, I wanted to be successful, but I didn't want it at any cost and expense. I was very clear like in my head, I wanted freedom. I wanted choice. I want to do everything because I choose to do it, not because I have to do it. You know, that's it. Amen. That You're is there. <laughs> like I choose to do stuff because I want to do it, not because I have to do it. I'm marrying you because I'm choosing to marry you, not because I have to marry you. I'm opening this business, not because I have to, because I want to. And every decision that I make, I make that way. If it doesn't like, if it doesn't meet that bar, then I don't do it. Fantastic. You know, and it serves me. All of it applies. All of it applies, like everything that I'm taught. It's being consistent, having good habits, delaying, you know, instant gratification. Self-responsibility. 100%, 100%. And, and you put that out there and people gravitate to you. I mean, they gravitate to you. The relationships that I have with people are so deep, you know? They're so deep, not because I send them dumb emails or because I send them stupid calendars. I don't do any of that shit. And I've never done any of that shit, you know? It's like having meaningful interactions that speak to what's important to them being available like as a resource to them when they need it, being consistent, consistently showing that I am their advocate. 
and not an advocate where you're confronting. And I see this sometimes with like some of the younger kids, you know, and I'm not, I, I think everybody's awesome, but I like people who aren't experienced yet, or even people that kind of get where they think they shit diamonds and they don't shit diamonds, you know, like they make a certain amount of money. They're like, oh my God, I'm shitting diamonds, you know? It's like, <laughs> you're not, <laughs> you're not. Right. And it's like how you manage that power because we start to make money and you see it. I see people when they make about $175,000, that's when they start to think that they're shitting diamonds. Yeah, they really and it's change. a tipping point. It's a tipping point. It is a tipping point. It's like men when they're turned 27. When they turn 27, they commit. And if they don't buy 27, they don't. <laughs> That's it. This is what happens, you know? And I bet you could talk to a lot of friends and you, you'll see that. It's like 27. That's what it happens. So, <laughs> so. Well, Michelle's 26. <laughs> She's ready. Right? The other thing too, like advice wise, what I've always done with people and like the things that have contributed to my success is that I'm always myself, okay? I'm not afraid to drop the F-bomb, not because I think it's cool, but because it, it's expressive where it needs to be expressive. I'm very candid. I'm very to the point. Like I'm very to the point mostly about everything. I can tell a great story, but I will get right back to the point and tie that in and you will see it. I'm consistent. I think I said that. But you are. No, I know you are. <laughs> but I like the chance you And I'm accountable. And I'm accountable. I'm very accountable. And I'm not accountable like in a militant way, but I'm accountable. If I say I'm going to do something, I do it. If I say I'm going to follow up, I follow up. Whatever I say I'm going to do for somebody, I do. And I delegate. I, I've taught people now as I've grown, like I've, I've understood the power of delegation. I, I, I sold, I think it was like 25 million maybe. And I say this like not hardcore statistics, but it was somewhere between 20 and 30. So I'll just say 25 without an assistant, you know, and running a company and having two children. And yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a lot. That is a lot. But a lot more transactions because at that period of time, oh, it wasn't like it wasn't that big. And the other thing too, sometimes people, they, they want to hit the home run. I see this like baseball. Sports is always the best for everything. It's like singles and doubles win the game, man. It's oh, a long sure. season and you don't hit a home run every time you come up to the plate. Well, sometimes you have a bad quarter. Yeah. I can always tell that when I've had a couple months that are less than stellar, but I've been really pushing hard and calling a lot of people and really finding what's going to happen. I know that next quarter coming down is going to be a fabulous quarter mm -hmm. because I've got all these exciting things coming up. The other thing too, like having a down quarter or having a down market is a, is a real opportunity. Oh, you know, sure. I mean, like they always say, it's like, we well, need a good recession. And I, and I don't want to say that like lightly, but any kind of dip in the market that goes down, it culls the mediocrity. And the people that are really good really fortify even stronger relationships with people. They become far more valuable, you know, and can be more valuable and can and really like like deepen that line. And and that's what we've done. I mean, we've continued to work our relationships. It's very relationship based. Money is important and money is a tool, but money isn't everything. And it's trying to make good, you know, like fundamental business decisions about things and treating people. Treating people the way that you want to be treated. As a company, we're not mandated to pay health insurance for any of our employees. We do because we care about them. And you want them to stay. That's right. You're a loyal person and you want them to be loyal to you. Yeah, that's my bottom line. I don't care. And that's the other thing too is that I come from an abundant mindset. I believe, I know no matter what, I'm, I know I'm always going to be okay. Like I know I can work at McDonald's. I'll be fine. You know, like really... Like that's, that's just how, yeah. I mean, I just really feel like that inner certainty, like I feel it, you know, it's there and I, and I own that. With you and Stacy, so was she your big impetus to get after the new construction? No, no, I had already started new construction before Stacy, but what I saw with new construction was there was a gap. So my first condo project, there were two. One was on Wood Street, 1542 Wood, and it was a building that a priest owned and it was a multiple offer to buy it. And we did it old school style, like sitting in Cityscape Realty's office. It's now like right next to Rose. Present your offers. Yeah, right, right. And the priest was there and he, he was like shell-shocked because he was just like, oh my God, all these people, what's going on? So I presented our offer and it was, I could tell by the way he was talking, like what was important to him. And I spoke to what was important to him because it was the truth. My client, who's a woman developer, also unusual at that time, I spoke to, Everything, how she was going to approach the building, what she was going to do, what our plan was, you know, how she was going to restore it, blah, 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 blah. And he loved that. And I saw that and I was like, okay, I'm going to just keep going with that. Everybody went around Robin. He actually accepted our offer and it was $10,000 lower than the highest offer. And he did it because of how I presented what my client was going to do. And then he goes, 
I need to pray on it, is what he told me. He said to everybody, he's like, I, he's like, I really appreciate everybody's time. He's like, but I need to pray on this. And, and before I can make a decision, I said, that's great. God only needs 24 hours. <laughs> so we got that building, we did it. And what I saw in going through that process is developers, they like make a model unit and they're like this beautiful unit and then everything's an upgrade. And I was like, no, 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 no. There was like this lack of account, not because they intended to do anything wrong, they just, you know, they didn't know better. They know what they know. And then you're managing like this customer experience because you have a customer experience. You have a realtor experience. You have a branding experience, you, you know, with the you want to build a brand for your client. So in going through that process, I saw I'm like, oh, my God, we need to create a system that creates this accountability. That's a, that's a, that's a contract that goes with the you know documents. And, and I started to see all the shortfalls and all this other stuff. So. That's how the design team started. There was an administrative component to it. As things started to build, there was a design component to it and, and a visual component to that. And so then we hired somebody because I was the person plus doing everything else. Then I was I was adding more shit. But you would you would jump in when the architects are, are oh, designing. Yeah, no. So yeah. you could say, no, 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 no. You need a bigger but I'm bedroom. Talking about, I'm talking about the time though, Greg, in the beginning when we didn't have any resources. Like I'm the janitor, I'm the accountant, I'm I'm everything. And I added one more thing. That's like 1995, okay? Wow. Now I can sit down with the architect and say, hey, let's have a Zoom call at two o'clock. Right. <laughs> While I'm doing 500 million other things and you won't know. <laughs> <laughs> and you'll still be spot on. That's right, that's right. <laughs> and so, you know you'll be spot on. That's right. But. It built, you know, it was like connecting the dots. What we started doing is I, I ran into some through the same builder. There was a house and I remember the zoning was wrong. Something happened and it was at the very last minute. And she just decided she was like, I'm going to still go through anyway because this woman is elderly and I bought her house and I, I don't want her. She needs this money. So she closed on it. We built this, this single family home instead of building something else, which was the highest price house in Bucktown at the time. And we had our sign, you know, we're always big with signage, but not branding signage. And I had a developer because developers shop other developers to call about that property. I have three houses that I want to sell. And I see that you sold this house and I'd like to talk with you. That one person got me in by accident. Didn't know. But from that one person, I met all of his buddies. And all of his buddies listed everything. I mean, it was like over and over and over. And it was like, and I became this person. Like the like Sean Callan did with all the Irish builders. Pretty much, yeah. Pretty it's much, really exciting. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, and it becomes prolific. It becomes prolific. And there's all different personalities. And we were at the same time developing systems as a resource for builders. People would generally pay for stuff like this, but we were just including it in what we were doing. So seemed natural. You were it was doing very it. natural. It was very natural. And it, we didn't look at it like some people would say, oh, you could make this a money making opportunity. I mean, this design team, we fund, it's probably about $250,000 a year that our team pays for. But it is like, you could call that marketing if you want to call it. Because it is it's marketing. Like, and that's the other thing too. It's like giving freely without expectation. I always give to people without an expectation. I'm, I'm very generous, but I'm also like, I'm not generous to a fault. I'm not stupid. Right. You know? but, no, but I've called you many times and asked you, what, who owns this property? What's the situation? And you always knew exactly what it was. And then you wanted to know why I was asking and if there was something in it and wanting to do a deal or try to figure out how you could help me. Right. And I was just another agent in another office, but I appreciate people like you because uh, there's not enough of that. And yep. especially right now, I feel like the mood in real estate is just, it's a, it's just a little, people's nerves are a little raw and everybody's kind of a little greedy. And They're a little confrontational and it doesn't have to be confrontational. You can represent somebody and not be confrontational. You know, we're, we're, we're partners in facilitating a transaction to get from one place to another. And it's making sure that both parties' interests are, are protected and heard, but it's not about fighting. Like, no. and, and some people, like, they make that about that and it doesn't have to be that well, way. Well, they think that that's good negotiating. It's not. It's not. I'll, I, you know what? It's not. It's absolutely not. No, it's actually bringing bad energy into a situation where you want it to really be a good positive energy. They, people pick that's up on it. where someone's going to be living for a long time. And it's worse to me is when the buyers get really frustrated and mad and start demonizing the other agent demonizing the seller throw anybody under the and bus. I try to pull them back and say, wait, 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 this is all bricks and mortar. This can all be fixed. We don't have to go to those. You don't have to start slinging mud and fighting because it's really counterproductive. Agreed. Agreed. So we yeah. find it. We no, it. we do. And it's like, and I, I think too, it's like being careful about how you, you know, choosing your words, you know, with like how you 
you know, somebody can be extremely unprofessional on another end, but I will never call that out because there's it doesn't do anybody any good. Everybody can see what you can see. It's not necessary because it like it lowers your energy. It brings you down to a lower level, and it's far more important to be professional. You know, be 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 real and accountable, but but professional. So. The story I wanted to tell you was about like with relationships and meeting people. So you meet people like the most random place. So there was a bar called Happy Village, which is still there. And Alice, she was she was the owner of Happy Village before she died. She was like my grandmother. I loved her. We would go on Friday nights and we'd have drinks and she'd be behind the bar smoking like 10 packs of cigarettes and telling great stories. So there's just neighborhood people there. And this one guy lived across the street and he's like, hey, Karen, you're in real estate. Can you sell my building? I said, sure, you know. And I listed his building for sale and an agent from Jameson came and showed the building and this buyer bought it. And, you know, it was very uneventful, you know, like I, I had my organized information of how I was presenting things like I always do, like everything up front. And I, you know, like the guy was like, you know, it was just like kind of like when I met Sean, it was just sort of like, OK, well, whatever. When the transaction was over, like a week later, the buyer called me. And he said, I just want you to know, I was so impressed with you, like how you handled this, 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 and this. He's like, I want to talk with you about selling my building and my plan of what I want to do. I said, I'm really impressed that you feel that way. But what I'd like you to do is make sure that you talk with your agent, you know, because I wouldn't want there to be any bad will or anything like that. I know that there's no ownership or propriety, but I just, he's like, no, I've already done that. He's like, and, and he's fine. And he knows that. I'm like, okay, cool. I just want to make sure. And we sat down. And so from there... I proceeded to sell this person probably 15 buildings, like over the course of seven years. And they became a really big source of referral and repeat business with a lot of different people. And his wife is somebody who she's lovely. And she was, she had a, a, a client who was uh, like, she's part of like with wealth management and they were doing a 1031 exchange. So this is how I did a $13 million deal. This is like, this is like a hat trick. It was like, it was like, a, hey, it was like, everyone deserves a layup. It was like, it was, it was a lay. It was like unbelievable. <laughs> Whoa, it was like one of those. Yeah. So, so Stacy and I, our desk, cause we have this open office environment. We don't have like cubes. She's sitting next to me. I'm standing here. And my client called me on the phone and she's like, Hey, she's like, so I just want to know if you have anything, you know, I have these people They're they don't have a realtor, but they're looking for a 1031. And she started talking, and I was talking out loud, like repeating what I heard and making sure, you know, they'd clarify. And Stacy's talking to me like this. She's going, you know, and it was like, there was this other building that was over in Ravenswood on Wilson that was a rental that we had rented. She's like, sell that building. So I'm like, well, you know what? You could flip them this, it turns out, you know, that building on Ravenswood that they hadn't listed yet. We put the deal together with them from that one phone call. Nice. For $13 million. Oh. Yeah. Raven Lux. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. I mean, that was funny. Yeah, that was funny. And that was almost too easy. And I don't say that like, like sometimes you get something like that. But the point of that is that that lead started in a bar. That kind of goes back to like doing little things really well and seeing the opportunity and everything and not thinking that you're bigger when you're starting out, especially when you're starting out, like don't think that, oh, that's beneath you to do something. It's like, consider it, do it. I remember selling a building in a two flat in Ukrainian village way back, like in the nineties, when I was first starting to just throw my hat in the ring, he was a, he was a rental client, you know, and then he wanted to sell and he, of course, that's exactly it called let's sell. And the person who was selling, it was like, oh, he's like, so. Karen, you know, North Clyburn Group, I've never heard of North Clyburn. I said, yeah, no, we're a small office. He was like from some big office, whatever. I'm like, yeah. He's like, oh, so how did you meet your client? I said, well, you know, with rentals. He's like, oh, rentals. He's like, oh, yeah. Rentals are just so like, uh. And I was like, mm-hmm. And in my head, I'm like, that's why we're here, man. No, no the rental is bread <laughs> yeah. and butter. That's it. But you know, like people, they don't necessarily see things. And it's just like they miss opportunities. I shouldn't say they see. They miss opportunities by having these connections. Well, the opportunities that could grow for years. Right. I have one guy from a rental on 2218 Augusta, that address. He, it was a new construction building I've known for 30 years. And one of the leads that came was the guy who owned the Ace Hardware store. Uh, actually, I'll tell you too, because that from this, from this one rental, but from, from that one rental, this is actually even a better rental story. From that one rental, from this guy in 1991, it was 1991, it was 2218 Augusta. I think that was the address. Fast forward 30 years later, referred me to his neighbor, in Saganash, who owned the Ace Hardware on Ashland Avenue. I went to meet him because he wanted to sell. It was a big site for like, I forget how many lots it was. 
And Summer. I presented, I presented, they were going to hire me, but then the sister at the last minute decided they wanted to go in a different direction. And I pivoted on the spot. I said, well, I have the buyer for it then. And I sold it. And, there you go. And we built a 33 unit building and rented it and all that. And then that same guy, okay, so now, and we still handle that building. Okay, that same guy referred me to the guy who owned the car dealership at 850 Western. And we're doing 17 units with 34 garages there now. And we sold wow. that too. So it's just like, so and that's from a rental. Has, that's every, like, that's one deal. Like, that's like 15 million. Like the one deal right there. So everybody gets two garage spaces? Everybody gets Whoa, two garage spaces. That's nice. Yeah, it's really nice. Yeah. But I'm just saying like, no, from, a rental, from a rental, from a rental. That's the, from a that's rental. the magic is that from yep. small things grow big things. I had, I, you know, I remember this one guy, he rented an apartment. It was like $1,500 a month, which was a lot of money in 1991, 1992. And the guy who owned the building was a, was a jerk. And I knew he wasn't going to clean it or do whatever. And I wanted to make sure that this person was taken care of. And I cleaned this apartment personally with no heat and no hot water until 10 o'clock at night before the guy moved in because I knew that that guy wouldn't do it. Yep. Yeah, with my I, baby and the little baby carrier. Having having a background in construction and painting and everything else can be a, a, a fatal blow as a realtor because you know how it's supposed to look. I've caught so many people's bathrooms and just done so much stuff. It. But you know, but you you do it though. You know I what add I mean? value. Like you do it, you do it, and now people can like call a handyman or whatever. But it's like it's seeing opportunity. It's seeing where you can be of service. It's seeing how you can assist your client, you know, and just like, and be, and be a value to them. Yeah. How can you be humble, really understand what they really need and be And not go overboard, but just like do and, and understand what you need to do when, you, and, and there's so many things. I mean, this job, I, I, this job, this is my career, you know, I mean, I wouldn't trade it for anything. I like, wouldn't For either. anything, for anything. I've had like, it's been a wild ride, Mr. Hare, but I have like really, it has taught me the school of life, you know? It's taught me Well, so then look much. at the way you've balanced it. So my next thing right now is work less, make more. So, and that's what I'm doing. I'm When I say work less, my goal is to cut my hours. Like right now I'm in like about the 50-ish the range. I went from 80 to like 50 and I want to get into the 30s. And it, that's not going to happen like overnight. That's going to happen like over the next three to five, like three years. I, you have to set a specific period of time. Over well, the next three years, I'll have that. By the time I'm 60, and one of the things too with like our company, we, we like people like they don't want new agents because they don't want to train them. I love new agents because they have, they don't have any bad habits right. and I can teach them really good habits. And I can tell you that there are people like people that have worked in our office. We have like big parties, you know, like once a year we have that big, oh, yeah. you know, and I mean, we, we make rock stars, man. Like we, we make rock stars, every agent. And we had to grow because what we were doing is like, we were at a certain point and we could have retention, okay. To like with an agent up to about 5 million. And then we had to grow in order to retain up to 10 million. Now we have agents that are doing 20, 25, 30. And it's like, we have to grow still, but not growing like to be big. Cause I would rather have three really good people than 10 mediocre people. We're like a ninja strike force, man. That's what we are. Well, how about I'm driving down the street. I see your office there. I go, I haven't talked to Karen in a while. I stop in your office. You're in the middle of a meeting. You come down, you hug me. We talk for two minutes. You go, oh, you like the Cubs? I go, well, I'm a Sox fan, but I do like the Cubs. Here, pick out whichever games you want. And I took like three games and I, I took you guys. Remember, that was her that gave us that day to the game because she's nice. And there is something about, and even though yeah. we're competitors, so people would think, but we're not. Yeah. I've never looked at the other agents as competitors. No. I never have, but... Our companies look that way. It's it's not that way. It's kind of like, it's having the right mentality about stuff. Like, again, it's like less is more. We work at like the edge of our of our capacity. Cause it's like when you're hitting that edge, you know, it's not like it's like laid back. Like it's like, ah, oh, you know, I'm working part time. Like that's not it. It's like, we, we always have to push ourselves. We have to challenge ourselves in order to grow. And then it's, it's really individual. And, and there are agents, there are some agents where it's like, you know what? I'm really happy a $5 million a year. That's great. There's nothing wrong with that, man. There's no. nothing wrong with that. It's like, and then do that, sell the best $5 million fucking dollars then and, and have the best experience for everything. And any extra business that you get from that, refer it out and get and get other you or know, hopefully stuff you're from doing that. it in the right way that it's not taking you down or and then it's I not one size people complaining all. about everything. Oh, this was bad, this happened, all reactionary. It's like, well, get on top of it. Give really good solid advice. You shouldn't have problems at the inspection if you are people, focused during the people, showings. Agents, 
People have to be willing to work. I want people to say yes versus no. It's like, like, yes, I can do that. Yes, I will do that. Yes, yes, yes. You can earn the no soon. Interning for somebody who's a top producer, I think is a great way for a new agent to start and be an assistant or watch that dashboard, see what's happening there. And then figure out how you want to be. And because I own a company, I have, I have a, an agent mentality, but I have a company owner mentality too. So there's two different mentalities to have. And that I had to, I had to learn how to like flex that muscle because I didn't know, you know what I mean? I didn't know. Now I know a lot more, you know, well, you have but now, I still don't even know. You, you really know? now have what I would say is like a master's degree in real estate. Because Maybe. you have the residential side, you have the commercial side, you have the investment property side, the new construction part. I'm diversified. You're I'm diversified, very diversified and I'm not a one, and I understand you, like the different things you were an owner part. for a long time. You've managed a lot of property. So it's a late date. Maybe yeah. you didn't go to college, but you know. And I can see that you're definitely uh, yeah. running a great crew. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm happy. How no, many really uh, happy. agents do you have now? I, I like, I, like on our team, we have a core group of like, Probably 11, 10, 11. Like with them, like I'm talking support and stuff like that too. But we have a deep, our whole office is like a team, honestly. We function, it, and that's also too because we don't have this cutthroat competitive environment. We have an accountable environment and we support each other in, in like ways that, and it kind of goes back to like that same thing of what I saw from the beginning that people were calling themselves a team, but yet not functioning as a team. You know, and that's that's the, that's the crew that we've got, that we've, de we've developed that kind of culture. But in our whole office, I think it's like, 3540. Karen, thank you so much for being on Real Estate Legends. I know it's going to be a fantastic podcast with you on it. And hopefully we can get you back soon and get you on stage. <laughs> well, a huge thank you to Karen Biazar. We'll be back with more stories from Chicago Real Estate Legends soon. Thanks for listening. Thank you.